This morning's Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy in the sixth chapter, the opening nine verses. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly in the, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your home and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the third chapter, being at verse 14 and continuing through verse 21 again. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here ends this reading from God's Holy Word. This is my prayer for you, begins Paul, my brothers and sisters in Christ at Ephesus, that you would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit and that your own spirits would then be quickened by the true nature of God's love. And this is my prayer for you as well, my brothers and sisters in Christ at Rehoboth. The apostle writes that he wants his friends to know the truth 
of some of what he knows to be true, and that is something of the great breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God, a divine love that is so great that our minds simply cannot comprehend and our hearts simply cannot contain all of it. Frankly, sometimes it can be hard to appreciate this love. Sometimes, or perhaps most times, I find myself so busy with the affairs of this world and even the affairs of the church that I lose sight of that which ought to be far, far too big to miss. Early on in the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis imagines a teachable moment that a demon has with his nephew and apprentice as he relates to him a tale of an atheist who the demon has been guarding from the wiles of God, whom he refers to as the enemy. The trick, he said, was to keep the subject so wrapped up in the affairs of this world, the real world, that of the senses, that he would have no time nor inclination to indulge himself in the contemplation of the greater world that is, in fact, far more real than this temporary existence. He addresses and exploits a weakness of all of our fallen human nature. When he writes, you begin to see the point, thanks to processes which we set at work in them centuries ago, they find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar, while the familiar is before their eyes. Keep pressing home on him the ordinariness of things. Yes, indeed, the world and our lives are so chock full of things, of stuff, that it can crowd out the extraordinary that coexists and transcends it. Just a few years ago now, Back when I was in university, my college was a liberal arts school, which meant, among other things, that there was a core of humanities courses that all students, regardless of their major, were required to take. And while it is admittedly true that I tried to take as many as my now wife was taking also, there were some which fit into my schedule, but not into hers, and vice versa. And one of these was a class in music appreciation. Now, I seem to recall at the time that I had a sense of dread as I registered for this class, because I, I did not really want to take a class to learn about musical traditions that I had no desire ever to listen to. But of all the required liberal arts curriculum requirements, this turned out to be perhaps the course I wound up liking the most out of all. Throughout the semester, I was exposed to a large number of 
historical eras and their soundtracks through this exposure. I heard some music that I, I never would have sought to hear on my own. I knew very well what I liked, and I knew very well what I didn't like. But by the time that term ended, I found that I really enjoyed Baroque music, particularly Vivaldi. I had a particularly rather narrow strain of music that I had pretty much always listened to up to that point, and I had chosen not to listen to anything else, even when I worked as a DJ for a station that didn't play that music. When I was off air, I wouldn't listen to it. Until I was exposed to this music against my will, I had no regard for the classical genre. The world which God has made is filled with music. From the music of the spheres, as we sing in our hymn, to the music of the wind in the trees, to the music of the waves crashing on the shore, to the music of the birds of the air, to the music of the whale's song, and, and so very, very much more. But if, we all, if all that we choose to listen to is, say, classic country, then we are tuning out some of the soundtrack of the glorious creation, and we are left with a diminished appreciation for the artistry of the Creator. The same would have held true, I rather suppose, had I taken an art appreciation class while an undergrad. I would have been, shall we say, less than thrilled to have to sit through a semester of examining artworks that were boring at best or downright off-putting at worst. But ultimately, it may well have given me a greater perspective on the great breadth and length and height and depth of God's creative powers on display out of love for and through his creatures. And maybe, just maybe, this also happens to be one of the duties, one of the great callings of the church to invite people to join with them in becoming appreciators of this magnificent art, to walk with them as they explore, experience, and interpret more of the infinite dimensions of God's love which are on display throughout this world and in our lives. I was reading a novel recently, which is something I admit I haven't done all that much of lately. But in this novel, a priest shares with a parishioner a theological illustration based on the analogy of a work of art. A painting, to be precise. He says that if you go to a gallery to view this painting, you can get pretty close to it. And if you do, you will see then the drips and the drabs of the paint, perhaps as well as some of the artist's brush strokes. And no doubt these splotches of color 
can be quite pretty. But if you slowly start to back away from that canvas, then you'll start to see a more defined image begin to take shape. You'll start to see more of the vision that the artist had in his or her mind's eye when they first picked up the brush. How you experience it, how you interpret it, how you appreciate it, or how you don't particularly appreciate it, well, that's all a matter of individual taste. But had your gaze never left the macro lens of the smallest details, you never would have known how great the completeness of the piece was. And that, I think, is what Paul is praying will happen in the minds and the hearts and the lives of his fellow believers in Ephesus, that they will come to appreciate the completeness, the complexity, and the consequence of the love which our Maker has for us. And further, that armed with such knowledge, that they would let this knowledge take hold, lodge, not simply in their heads, but in their hearts and their hands as well, so that it goes from theoretical to emotional to expressive. And the love that has flown into them would flow out in equal measure. That, as we come to comprehend little by little the vastness of the love that our Father has for us, we, His children, might respond little by little with greater humility and gratitude. So this also is my prayer for all of us here at Rehoboth, quite far removed in time and location and culture too, and well, just about everything else removed, yet united across these things in Christ by the power of the Spirit. May we come to know and may we come to live changed as a result of this wondrous love that will not let us go. May we be open to the possibilities that such a love as this is opening for us. How liberating it is. And at the same time, how great the desire to respond it does kindle. This, I believe, is at least part of the answer to the prayer that we have been offering since that last Sunday in October of 2019, Reformation Sunday, when we, get, when we began a season of intentional prayer and discernment about being reformed as individuals and as a congregation for the, for the next chapter in faithful service to our dear, loving Lord and Savior. The reformation necessarily begins with us. Each and every one of us who has been made by and claimed by such a love as this, pausing the world and her distractions long enough to drink in the glory of God's effusive and eternal love, being refreshed by the sustaining spirit of the one who has loved us and who does love us and who will love us in a way which compels our response to the commandment which the people of God have long recited to themselves, 
to one another and to their children. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is, after all, how he first loved us. Reminded, reassured, and reawakened to the vastness and the immutability of God's care, compassion, and constancy is an important foundational part of our reformational journey. As we seek to discern a course for the church, we are guided all along by God and to be more conscious of the relationship he has and desires to have with us informs us on our journey together. So today and in the days to come, I invite us to take some time or more rightly, to return to God some of the time which he has so graciously gifted to us and to use it to examine up close and at a distance the works of art that he has created right here in and for us. These signs of his love that fill us and our days with peace and with purpose. The more we can sense this gift, the more we may appreciate it. So I pray after the manner of Paul that through this spiritual discipline of attentiveness and rediscovery, we may all be blessed with a deeper sense of just how great this God is through the greatness of his love for us. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.